Hello, listeners. Thank you again for joining me on this new segment on Mysteries Unknown, Behind the Mist. So today, I have another special guest I consider with me. He is the founder, slash player, slash game master, slash producer, slash editor, the bar jack of all trades for the Vibe Tribe Productions. Ladies and gentlemen, non-binary pals, Mikey! <laughs> I love the introductions, but hello everyone. As it was mentioned, this is Mikey, the founder, player, game master, pretty much everything but the kitchen sink of Vibe Tribe Productions. And uh, I'm really happy to be here. So I'm excited to have some conversations and uh, see what kind of trouble we can get into. <laughs> all right. So the first thing I usually like to have all my guests do when I get on here is just kind of short and sweet if possible, extended if you want, doesn't matter to me. Just kind of go into like your history with TTRPGs. What got you started and kind of what led up to today? Oh, awesome. Okay. So my history with TTRPGs is brief in a sense. I've only been within the uh, tabletop scene the last three years or so. Uh, what kind of got me interested into it is funny story is uh, at the height of pandemic back in March of 2020, when all of us were locked inside our houses for a period of time. YouTube, Netflix, all that good stuff ended up becoming a way to pass the time, so to speak. So funny enough, I was on YouTube and I randomly it recommended me a video of like the highlights from a Critical Role season one campaign. And I was like, what's Critical Role? But at the thumbnail, I was looking, and I was like, you know what? I recognize a lot of these voice actors because I'm also a big video gamer, uh, anime person, all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, you know what? I recognize some of these people. Let's see what it's about. And then from there, I watched the entire like two, three hour highlight video. And then within the next couple of weeks, I bought my first set of D&D books, and then the rest is history. Over the last three years, I've kind of expanded to go learn more about tabletop games in general. And then because, I, funny story, I wanted to play games with some friends, and I also got tired of the campaigns that I was in, fizzling out for a variety of reasons. It led me to be you know what what would happen if i made these games as podcasts and we can see where we go from here so that's what started vibe tribe at the beginning of 2022 and now we are in season two here and it's uh, been an enjoyable ride but that is my history with ttrpgs it went from being somebody who was curious and interested in them to learning more about them to now running a podcasting conglomerate i guess is the best way to put it i don't know yet but we're we're getting there <laughs> So I'm curious, why the name, why Vibe Tribe Productions? What made you pick that name for your kind of like your, I want to call it organization because you just do so much within it. So that's kind of, so I'm just going to refer to us now, your Vibe Tribe Production organization. What led to that name? <laughs> so funny story. So Vibe Tribe initially came from, so I am a millennial. So I grew up as a 90s kid. The vernacular slang and lingo was a part of my staple. It still is. But because I have, and I still am, because I grew up in Southern California, in that kind of like surfer, skater kind of vibe of a town, and just that atmosphere of what I was introduced to, growing up, me and my group of friends would be like, you know what, let's go find our tribe. Let's, you know, or in the sense too, it's just like, let's go f vibe out, let's just chill or whatever. 
So I kind of just leaned into what I knew. And when I was coming up with a name, initially it was just, it was going to be D and D vibe tribe productions. But then as I went through and started formulating it and for season one, because I ended up running games that were other than D and D as well. I was like, you know what? Let's just stick with vibe tribe. And it's part of the mission statement that I have for vibe tribe is that when you come in, we're going to have a good time. We're going to play some TTRPGs. We're going to tell some good stories. We're going to make a full out of ourselves. But the ultimate goal at the end of the day is what TTRPGs were designed with, which is to have a good time and to have fun, which I feel a lot of that has been lost within the last couple of years of this becoming a more monetized thing and creators doing this for a living, which is cool. And I don't want to knock anyone down for it. But sometimes we kind of forget that they were created to have fun. So that's why I've decided to name my productions Vibe Tribe because fun is at the forefront and everything else comes secondary if need be at all. Yeah, it was kind of the same for me. Um, so the reason I chose Mysteries Unknown is because Unknown Mysteries was already taken. <laughs> and then I just changed that Y to an I to kind of do the play on the Mist for City of Mist. And so Mysteries Unknown podcast. And then the running joke that I have myself with my Instagram username, it's um, it's Mist Unk podcast. So it's Mysteries Unknown um, abbreviated. But I like to say the way I look at it, you can read it as the Me Stunk podcast. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. So it's slightly catching on with how people have been trying to pronounce it because they try to pronounce it all as one word. So it's just funny. It's like, okay, the joke is catching on. So, so it's one that I unintentionally set myself up for, but I didn't mind it at all. And then, so I actually about the same as you was kind of the height of the pandemic was when I got introduced to city of mist, listening to a podcast called rolling in the mist. And they're all, that's a straight up city of mist pot. Uh, let's play podcast oh, and, I, I love them over there this is such a great time <laughs> oh yeah uh, my first episode i released for, for this behind the mist is with kevin carpenter and so that was really fun to talk to because he's been such an inspiration for me him and brendan lee mulligan because so i knew what critical world was i had heard of D, just wasn't interested in it at first but then getting into city of mist got me more interested in looking at the other ttrpgs i started so I'm like only a couple episodes in on like the main critical role. I started like the beginning and because it's so long, I'm kind of taking my time with it. But Brendan Lee Mulligan did Calamity. And I heard that. I'm like, I'm going to check this out. I listened to all the episodes and my mind was so blown away just by the narrative descriptions that Brendan Lee does with the cast, how well the cast performed. Of course, Sam Ragel. you always got to recognize Sam Ragel whenever he's on there because he's just so good at what he does, but so is everyone else. And I actually have interacted with uh, Lewis a couple times on social media, just from commenting on his stuff. And he'll comment back every now and then, because he did such a good with his paladin character. And so, but so it was Kevin Carpenter. I said that got me to do start running city of his games because no one else was running the games on the discord. So I decided to take it into my own hands and start running for people. And then Brandon Lee Mulligan was the one that kind of inspired me to be like, okay, I want to do stuff like he does. I'm going to now start putting this out there for other people to listen to because the story is basically the main part of these games you're playing. It's not just, oh, it's just five people getting together, but it's the story you all create. It's kind of been my big thing with it. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the fun part with this in general. So 
as a game master, all a game master, dungeon master, the, the you know, there's a variety of terms from the various TTRPGs that call it. But everyone kind of hones in on something that's important. And one of the things that I value when it comes to the types of games I have, I love working with my players to collaborate and to tell a story together because I have the major plot points for this campaign that I'm running. But I want my players to help me fill in the details and how we get there is completely up to them. And it's become one of the most rewarding experiences so far within my short time in TTRPGs that I've come to really, really enjoy. Yeah, so I remember my my very first City of Mist game and very first TTRPG game I ever run was and a completely homebrew. It was a horror-based campaign I did. And I went through, I basically what I did was I made like this cabal of like horrors from like urban legends and mythological. So, but I also took place from like pop culture. So I've gone in on this on a couple times, but I'm going to go a little more in depth. So my horror cabal was led by the Slender Man and his, uh, his, uh, his underlings were a reskinned Lydia Dimitrescu from RE8, a uh, reskinned uh, Golden Freddy that was a Willy Wonka looking guy that was a toy maker. Uh, the Jigsaw Puppet, who also owned a pet Wendigo. And I also had Siren Head. And I threw in the False Hydra in there just for a little side boss. So that was my very first game I ever run. And then I did the Demons of Cross End case for my first case on this podcast. And then my latest thing I've been doing is I've been creating one-shots and introducing D&D players to the City of Mist RPG. So I've done with uh, I did a one shot with Eldritch Buds, another one with Death by a Thousand Crits, and then my Christmas one was just a couple guys I had been friends with for a while, and I just wanted to get them on there. But one of them actually is a long like game master for D and D for years. He actually runs like a D and D like tavern in like South Carolina. That's like a game shop type deal and all that. And so that's been really fun. And of course, I've already got more set up for like this year for the next couple months. So that's been my thing. I've been doing it. But I'm trying to get like because I really want to do some of these cases that are out there too. Because how because some of these that have been created are also really good too. So, oh yeah, that just that little extensive list right there. That sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like unlike you, who you have been able to keep like consistent players. That's kind of been my struggle is I can't keep anyone kind of consistent because with my horror campaign, I started with like five, went down to like three, four, got one. Then it ended up with just being three. And that's where I kind of figured out, oh, three is like my magic number for players. And then on my Demons of One and Demons Across End case, I had three and I lost one. So I just ended up playing with two players, but it made really well for like the character interaction with each other with how the players they were using. So that was really cool. And you've had some really good just players on your show that has done really good on, with all their characters like Echo, uh, MG Preacher, uh, Pup Riku. Uh, ah, I forget the uh, your Puerto Rican friend. I forget how he says it when he introduces himself. The nerdy, party, nerdy, the Puerto, nerdy Rican. Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just you have this great cast of characters on most of your shows that have been like really cool. And then just some of the ones that kind of hit me here down there, like Chris from uh, Unprofessional Development that you have. He was on like a couple of your games, I think. And so that was really cool to listen to him do that. So you have this colorful cast of characters that just makes for great character interaction and great story. 
Oh yeah. And honestly, because I've been asked by a lot of people how I managed to find all these great players. And if I'm being completely honest, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. Um, lots of them. It's funny enough, many of them were just friends I befriended during the pandemic once I downloaded TikTok. And I was like, I'm bored. People keep telling me to see what this is about. So let's just investigate and see. And then once I started to go down the rabbit trail, that is the social medias and all that good stuff. I was like, you know what? Let's just make something because I'm stuck in my house for hours and hours on end. So might as well just pass the time and figure something out. And then over the year and a half, two years, we were still in our houses. I befriended a couple of people, which led into being a part of some private online uh, D&D campaigns, which then evolved into meeting more people. And then, I mean, we fast forward to now and this is where we are. Uh, as much as I give crap to TikTok, um, I do. I am grateful for that because it led me to meet some amazing people and, you know, be my core, not only my players, but have become really good friends of mine, too. So I'm I'm just extremely grateful. And I still don't understand how I managed to find all these people and we're cool like that. But you know what? I'm happy that it worked out the way it was supposed to. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. So I have my experience with social media is not as good. I try to get on the TikTok during like the height of the pandemic. I got bored with it real easily. And plus, I just wasn't consistently putting out content because I'm a single dad. So I just didn't always have the time. And then when I started Mysteries Unknown, I made a Twitter and I just got all the toxicity just coming in through my newsfeed. So after a while, I was just like, nope, I'm done with that. And I just stuck with Instagram and I put more of my focus into posting on there and interacting on there. And I've gotten more of my consistent followers and views just from that app alone. And then I just I updated my uh, our, my podcast host. I updated that to be starting the year towards now on more than just like the main four I was using. So now it's like on I'm on iHeart, I'm on Pandora, TuneIn, and a couple other places where basically if you were to just type it in, you would find it now just about anywhere. So because I was trying to stick with just like I was I was sticking at first with Spotify, Apple, Google, and Amazon. And I wasn't getting as many plays. And then once I put it out there, I started to see the increase. But I'm not doing it for the plays. I just want to do this because I enjoy doing it. I like making these stories. And if people enjoy listening to it, then they, then they get to experience that with me as well. So that's always been my thing. It's not really about getting the monetization from it because I'm not going to make any money from this. And with some of the stuff I'm going to do, I can't make money off of it because I have ideas with pop culture ideas that I want to do as well. So it's more just something I enjoy and I want other people to enjoy it along with me. Of course. And I mean, it, it's different for everyone. So I'm I've, I'm on the same wavelength in the sense of with Vibe Tribe, more fun and good times with people that I've come to know and love. And even some new friends that I'm meeting along the way has been at the forefront. And then with all of this that we're doing, I tell Everyone that's involved over that vibe tribe, whatever direction this ends up leading, whatever opportunities that we get, you know, I'm excited for them. But what even if it's just us being having a good time with people, telling fun stories, playing games, all that good stuff, then I'm cool with that, too. I can't say that I don't want to be monetized from this stuff, because if that's 
ends up becoming a thing, which isn't a primary goal. I'm not going to knock it because any extra income in this day and age is always a good thing. But I would, this has become something that has been very important as a creative outlet. And I think, and this is getting me getting on my soapbox for a little bit, for anybody that's looking to anything creative within the TTRPG space, whether it's writing your own stuff, running your own game, doing a podcast, doing Twitch or YouTube, I think my biggest important thing that I always want to want people to know is that one, never lose your sense of self, whatever got you into this, let that be the driving force. And number two, just surround yourself with people that are going to support you and to always want to be having a good time. So as long as you have some sort of goal in mind and you're consistent with it, whatever ends up happening with your project is going to be more fulfilling than if you go with any of the trying to make money off it. That will come in due time, but never lose the central focus of what you want to your project to become. Yeah, I think that kind of ties into something I was going to kind of respond with. I was going to basically say, like, if you're going into something just because you just want to do it for the money, I think the, as I kind of call it, the quality of what you're trying to create will be will fall a little flat compared to if it's something you were just passionate about to begin with. And it's something like, like I said, I don't expect to make money from it, but I have this passion in me to, like, make these stories and all that for other people to listen to. Basically, yeah, if it got, if I got some money from it, I got some money from it. It's the same with my music I make on the side because I write and record my own music. I don't make that much money off of it, but I enjoy doing all the same because I'm telling a story through words. So, But speaking of games, let's discuss a few of yours. How about that? Uh, all right. Well, I mean, where would you like to start? Because that's a, that's a lot of games that we <laughs> yeah. could potentially talk about. And we're going to go over each and every one that you went for season one that I have on this list. So I'll start with this first one because it's not one I've had a chance to listen to yet because I was trying to binge so many of them. And this, so this one is right up on my list. Next list to uh, call of the deep, which is a D and D podcast. Okay. So if you would, if you want to use it as a, if you want to try to trace the origin of Vibe Tribe, then Call of the Deep really is the way that you're going to want to go with it. Because so Call of the Deep actually started out as a game that I wanted to run once I got once I felt that I'd learned enough of the 5E mechanics of D&D well enough to potentially run something, I just grabbed a couple of people that I thought, you know what, I've become close with them. Let's see if they wanted to be a part of this game or whatever. And it started out with just four people, which then over time has has now evolved into a cast of seven. Uh, (laughs) it's, It's been an interesting journey. This is probably the one game that has had a lot of changes over time. And this is the longest game that has been going on because this game has been going on for almost a year and a half now. But honestly, to see where it started to where it is currently, I think is probably a I'm very proud of everything, not just with myself, of my skills as a DM to the storytelling, but my players have enhanced that into, you know, one of my favorite thing, one of my favorite games to run that is still currently going at this point, moment. So I guess Call of the Deep is your 
season zero because it's the first game that I started with and it's the one that has continued all the way up to present day. And if you were to like to say, like, give like a, some sort of like non-spoiler summary of what this is about, what would you say Call of the Deep is about? So for Call of the Deep, uh, without spoiling too much, the premise is that something other planar has found its way into the uh, Sword Coast. So the campaign mostly takes place uh, along the Sword Coast, which is the cities of Baldur's Gate, Waterdeep, Neverwinter, and the multiple island nations within the Sea of Swords. And so the party is just learning more and more as the story has progressed about the grander scheme of things. And now, basically, without spoiling it, they learned that they are going to be in a fight with other lives against these other planar beings as well as may come face-to-face with some deities. So it's going to be interesting. All right. Well, that's one I'm definitely going to look for once I start getting to that. So that's definitely on my, again, top of my priority list of podcasts listed to. Uh, next, let's go into a, even though it was unfortunately short-lived, it still had seven good episodes. You're hecking the podcast that you were doing for a little while. So. Yeah. So Hecna, which uses, uh, the module of the same name from Hit Point Prince, which is a fifth with is a five E campaign. Um, unfortunately, it was short lived, but that's because IRL responsibilities had to come first, and so unfortunately, that was a game I had to say goodbye to. But again, it's really really cool. I'm a big fan of um, the very. Al- I don't want to say alternative because it sounds cr- it sounds. Uh, but I'm a huge fan of like Guillermo del Toro movies and Tim Burton. So those two are some of my favorite directors and also the aesthetic as well of that modern kind of gothic, like underlying Donnie Drake, Don, Donnie Darko kind of like vibes. And essentially, when I looked at the module for Hecna, it's essentially that I was like, what happens if you take a Tim Burton movie or a Guillermo del Toro movie and you stick a bunch of people you stick a bunch of characters in it and run it as D and D as them trying to make sure they survive this crazy carnival that they find themselves in as well as return back to their home as well is is an interesting concept. I unfortunately it was short lived, but I really, really enjoyed it. And you know, for the story that we got to tell with it, I loved it and I'm hoping one day to revisit it whether as a reboot or something, but I definitely really enjoyed the module and what was part of it so far for the time I got with it. Yeah. So when I was listening to it, I got kind of like insane clown posse, dark carnival vibes from it a little bit because it was like, it presented itself as, Oh, this fun place, but you got some demented things that are kind of hiding in the shadows somewhere. And some of the things like, um, the doll ticket thing from the beginning, that was definitely kind of a creepy little moment. You got the experience there and then all the different rooms. And then I think like the, my favorite part was the popcorn dragon when they had to fight that, that was really fun and funny to listen to. So I really enjoyed listening to that. (laughs) All right. And then let me see, which one do I want to choose next? You got quite a little one, two, three, four, five, yeah, you have so for the, just to let everyone know, first season one, well, actually one of these may be considered season two, but it start it was started before season two was officially announced. So I'm going to say there's nine 
current shows out as we speak. And the third one I'm going to mention is your Deadlands Noir, Red Harvest. Yes, so Red Harvest uh, was the title I gave it. It uses the Deadlands Noir system, which is an offshoot of the Savage World system. Um, This one was a lot of fun to run just because of the aesthetic. Because the cool thing is with the Deadlands Noir and the source book that I got with it, and as well as the compendium that is uh, part of it, just the ability to tell a very more grounded, noir-centric, mystery kind of campaign. Uh, And the cool thing is, is from the book and the compendium, there are four major cities that you could pick from with different time eras. And then, of course, the one that spoke the most to me was the one that I used for Red Harvest in 1920s, 30s. As somebody who loves that era of history, initially, that's what gravitated towards me when I was doing my research for what games to run. And Savage Worlds was very easy to run. But I think what made it a lot of fun, as well as a little very chaotic with the recording, was my group of players. This game was probably the most chaotic in the sense that the players in this game were all my friends that I met over online through TikTok. So the full, the five of us grew to know each other a lot and we knew each other way before we decided to do this podcast, thanks to the internet. And then when I asked all of them to be a part of it, they said yes. And so it was the most chaotic because we are so close already. We know each other very well. But it was a lot. It was a really, really fun time. And I enjoyed the time that we got with it. And, you know, it it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work and it was a lot. It was really chaotic, but I really enjoyed the time that I got with that one. I think my favorite part of this, you guys, was when the game mechanic of the exploding dice rolls and just hearing how excited the guys would get when they would get that roll. And I think. There was one guy that got like three or four exploding dice in a row. I can't remember which episode or which character it was, but there was one guy that was like exploding. He just kept getting more excited each time he did it until it finally stopped. And that's one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, about the Savage World system, because in short, it's really simple in terms of mechanics. The number for any challenge that needs to be met is a four. And because each different stat is assigned a different die depending on how they make their character there's always a chance that you can especially for those stats that have the lower dice it has the most greatest chance to be the ones where it's like your hail mary throw moment where things are your characters are in a bind you need to roll the stat you may have only have a d4 in it but because there's one in four chance of you getting that four you have a 25% chance of continuing to get those explosive successes and those add up. So that's what I really loved about this game was seeing my players not only be using a different system that they've never used before, but just that mechanic of them narratively wise, being able to roll that many explosive successes and then to kind of just narrate how badass they are is, was so much fun to watch. Yeah. All right. And now we're going to start getting into some of my more the more my more favorite, more enjoyable shows I got to list to you. We'll start with Friday Night Fights, which was Worldwide Wrestling RPG, if I remember correctly. 
Yep. So Friday Night Fights, uh, which uses the Worldwide Wrestling Second Edition game. See, I think what makes what makes this game is just because. So <laughs> where do I start? So my player base for this game minus one. They all have a little bit of history when it comes to wrestling. Most of us are all wrestling fans. So WWE, All Elite Wrestling, uh, Impact Wrestling, New Japan world wrestling like professional wrestling entertainment whatever you want to call it it made the buy-in super easy for my players because a lot of them already watch or have experience with wrestling of that ridiculousness and of that caliber so it's already a good time and just because the game mechanics are so easy to follow plus the way that the narrative is uh, set up where it's mostly collaborative and the way that it works similarly to actual professional wrestling companies where you build storylines for people and you have championships and they fight. I think this game was probably the easiest to be the most ridiculous with because of the scope of the game is set in the world of professional wrestling, which for those of us that do watch it know how silly and ridiculous it can be. But I think what made that game a lot of fun, too, is just the chemistry that the cast has with one another. It doesn't hurt that many of them are actual performers uh, experience in theater or in certain cases for our slightly erotic Viking Santa character is a theater professor <laughs> is a theater professor himself. I think just added such a different depth to it that made it so good. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say so. Yeah, the player, the players and the characters in this were the best part because you had slightly erotic Viking Santa. You had, for a while had a boxer from the 1920s, 1930s area that got somehow transported back in time. You had a guy that was like had a uh, how, how do I word this properly without sounding too? That was like mental at first, and then snapped out of that mentality and just went full like haymaker. He went, yeah, he went. F- yeah, so. <laughs> Minnie, who plays who played Axel, was your MMA fighter turned um, <laughs> wrestler, where he was kind of where he was kind of like even killed and chilled because of his MMA career, and then the flip switch and he became full on like I'm gonna destroy everybody. It was so much fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, and then you had uh, oh, I can't remember some of the other ones because you also had like the Bayou Brotherhood NPCs, uh, Manager yeah. Manager John. <laughs> <laughs> the t-shirt cannon became a thing. Oh, it, was, it was so much fun. It's like that's that's gonna have to fill in for the bazooka for now until they get that bazooka. <laughs> it was and the funny thing is too is, is is that that game was so much fun to do, and I still have plans for it down the road because that's one of the few games I was like, nah, we need to bring this back because I had way too much fun with it. And then of course we still have in wrestling terms we still have story threads that need to continue as well so yeah because you also got the sakura bombs you had surf and turf uh the lady that did the uh august because basically because this takes place this takes place over two different kind of arcs you have like the main kind of one and then there was kind of like the backyard kind of feeling one that happened Well, and see, that kind of mirrors actual professional wrestling, too. Like if because I know the business because I watch enough professional wrestling and I know some of the behind the scenes stuff. So when you are creating storylines for all intents and purposes in wrestling, you have like your main stories and then you have like your undercard like you would in boxing or MMA. 
where it's not necessarily the main event, but the story is still going on and is important nonetheless. So obviously you had by the end of the season, you had pretty much every single one of our main players be champions. So the first half was them getting to the championships and winning them. And then the second half was just all the shenanigans of being champion and defending them against all the other competitors. Oh, the, the Macho Mage! I almost forgot the, about him. <laughs> I kid you not. Like, So the funny thing is, is a little behind the scenes. So uh, the Nerdy Party Rekindadolfo, who plays Macho Mage, the game has you pick archetypes that are seen in professional wrestling. And so his archetype, funny enough, is the jobber. So in to break down wrestling terms for people who are not familiar with a jobber in professional wrestling is a talent that is just used to get squashed and to push the other talent that they're fighting against so initially that's what it was that means they rarely ever win they're usually on a losing streak but that's okay i changed that for the narrative because of how much adolfo was killing it and the role i was like let's see where this goes and I presented the opportunity. He was down with it. And thus, this little jobber became the champion and has probably been one of my favorite characters. All my players in that game were great, but Adolfo ended up playing Macho Mage with so much heart. I was just like, this is uh, this was not what I was expecting, but I'm so happy it ended up this way. I have to bring up this scene because it was one of my all-time favorites from the show. So I forget who he fought in this, but Macho Mage... For like one of the one of the kind of the punishing moves, throws a bag of D fours on the wrestling ring floor and drops the opponent on the D fours. Oh yeah, that was that was so much fun. I believe that was during the War Games match. I could be wrong, but that match was a lot of fun to run as players because all of them were all were inside at once, and then they just pulled finisher after finisher after finisher. It was so much fun. And then this guy actually tied to the next podcast, which is actually not a tabletop podcast, but it's just kind of one of your commentary ones you like to do, your new Biconics wrestling podcast. Yeah, Did that kind of develop from this, in a sense? So, funny story. So, Biconics originally was the first project that I ended up working on. It was me and one of the other co-hosts that is a part of it, uh, JVL. So, initially... He presented me this idea because we bonded over our love of professional wrestling. And of course, he knows so much more than I do because and he'll tell you this. He's been watching it since the uh, Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior days, which is like peak 1980s wrestling. Right. And my entry to wrestling wasn't until the early 2000s with your Jeff Hardy and your Triple H and your Randy Orton's. But initially, it was a project that me and him were working on that kind of just didn't see the light of day for a variety of reasons. And so as I was doing Friday Night Fights and, you know, I recently gotten way more into professional wrestling because I was kind of a casual fan. And then I stopped watching it until after I graduated college. And then I kind of started investing in it more. And now with more, you know, promotions out there. I was like, you know what? This is a good thing. But I'm like, I need somebody to talk to because before that, it was just me and then two friends of mine uh, in real life that we talk about this. I was like, I want to get some other people's perspectives. 
So I asked JVL, hey, I want to bring this project back, but I know that this was, he was the lead when we initially did it. And I asked him, is it okay if, you know, with your blessing to bring him back? And he was all for it. And then we recruited uh, Minnie. Yeah, we pretty much recruited almost every single person minus two people from Friday Night Fights to be a part of it. So me, uh, JVL, the professor, John, as we call him, and Minnie, the four of us, just get together once a month. We talk about professionally and wrestling. We recap everything. And I think what I love about that project is listening back because there's only two episodes out of it right now. But listening back to both of those, it's so much fun to re-listen over and over again because you could tell from my co-host that not only do they know their stuff, but I can hear the passion and the love that they have for it, which is something that I knew I was going to get from them because of their history with professional wrestling. But it just feels so organic and so authentic to talk about wrestling with these four. And it's been a hoot so far and I've enjoyed so much of it. And I, and I'm so excited for the next couple of months. Cause when we recap these next couple of pay-per-views, across you know for wwe i'm excited because we'll get a perspective because jvl is going to the elimination chamber pay-per-view in two weeks and then me and Minnie are going to wrestlemania in los angeles together in april so to get that live in-person coverage is going to be so much fun yeah so i've never watched a single bit of wrestling like i just know wrestlers and stuff like the rock john cena chris benoit just from the history of that name alone but listening to you guys because you have a few episodes on friday night fights as well we just talk about current wrestling events too a couple times for like bonus episodes and then with the biconics wrestling podcast love that name by the way immediately chuckled to myself when i saw that name and so yeah and that came from jvl because it's i mean i've talked about it a couple of times on um variety of different podcasts but the biconics originally came up with it because it was me and jvl both who identify as bisexual and so and at that time we re- both really loved in wwe this female tag team known as the iconic so we kind of just smushed the two things together and thus the biconics were born <laughs> Yeah, so I'm listening to all these episodes now just because I support you guys, what you do, and I want to do it no matter what it is. And I'm loving just learning about these different characters, what's all going on. Like that whole history of Chris Benoit alone, if you do a deep dive into that with how that how like the wrestling career also played with like his life outside as well, it's just it's a mess, but it's an interesting mess in a sense. So but we're not going to deep dive into that right now because there's that's one that's a dark road to go down on if I keep on continuing with that. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I mean, if anything, I for the sensationalization, I know some people have a problem with it, but definitely go check out the Dark Side of the Ring documentary they did on it, which lists the events of everything that happened. It's it's a wild time for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, I remember someone mentioning on somewhere or something that there was like this whole like documentary something that just not just about Chris Benoit, just about just the entire dark side of the wrestling entertainment industry alone. Yeah, Dark Side of the Ring has covered a lot of the major uh W like WWE and just wrestling storylines. So obviously the Chris Benoit story was covered and then Probably the other one that kind of made waves within the last year or so is is that for 
hardcore WWE fans, there is this story called the plane ride from hell back in the 90s where a bunch of the WWE wrestlers were coming home from an international show. And for some reason, everything kind of got out of hand. Like there was almost a fist fight that happened. And then we learned more of how much uh, Ric Flair was a misogynistic person. And then just things kind of just spiraled after that. The plane ride from hell is one of those interesting stories that y'all need to watch and look up because it is it is wild. Wait, was this like a fist fight about to happen like on the plane? Oh, yeah. So there was a. F- yeah. So, again, I, I would have paid to-, to see that. That would have been. Even though all the stuff surrounding it, I, I I recognize that. But I'm just saying, just from an entertainment standpoint, that would be fun to see on to kind of see recorded happen. No well, offense. Yeah, the reason that it was the plane ride from hell is because a couple different things happened, like all at ver- varying degrees of absurdity. So there was like a fist fight. I think somebody's hair got cut off at one point. But then you go down to the crazier stuff where there was women on the plane that for all intents and purposes, and it was said and confirmed that there was a little bit of uh, rubies being dropped in their drinks, and then they have no recollection of what happened afterwards. Yeah, it's it's a wild time. Uh, yeah. Go check out that documentary. Go check out the story, because it ranges from silly things such as a fist fight to hair getting cut off to just all kind of laws being broken it's 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 a crazy time they're all taking lessons from bill cosby it seems apparently and that's just the surface of it but that's for another time because we'll be here all day with how crazy (laughs) things have gotten yeah i'm sorry it's a making joke making jokes about stuff that you shouldn't belt is kind of just one of my mechanisms when i try to ease up on stuff so it's okay listen (laughs) as somebody who's been following professional wrestling i have learned to take the good with the bad and just like if this last year has shown, sometimes it gets buck wild. So, but again, if you want to check that out, definitely check out the Biconics, especially our 2022 recap, because we spend a lot of time talking about probably the biggest news story that happened, especially since the New York Times ended up picking it up with the whole Vince McMahon hush money situation. But you should go check that out if you want the full scoop for that. <laughs> All right, so now let's move from something professional to something unprofessional. Your unprofessional development uh, teacher roundtable podcast, as I like to refer to it as. Oh, my goodness. Where do I even start with this one? So this is probably, I mean, Biconics technically by default is the newest project, but that has been on and off again and kind of on again. Since 2021 of August of 2021, this one is probably the newest one in the sense of what Vibe Tribe has created. And I literally just like, again, outside of TTRPG content creators on TikTok, because of my actual profession in real life as a teacher and an educator, I've met uh, some cool people on TikTok that were on teacher TikTok. And, you know, we kind of just bonded from there. It initially started out with me and another good uh, TikTok teacher, a friend of mine. It was just the two of us. And then we kind of roped in our two other co-hosts. I like to describe unprofessional development as just us bitching a lot of the time, but being comical about it. We do have our moments where we tend to get serious and we do get deep on these things. But 
This one's probably my favorite in the sense because like any profession, unless you have somebody that is in that profession, when you talk to them about the struggles or when you vent about the frustrations that you're facing, people who are not in that field can only be empathetic to a certain extent because they don't know the ins and outs. So this podcast has been very important for all of us because it's become therapeutic for us to vent our frustrations, but also to make fun of each other and just be a little comical when need be. But this one's really, really fun because I love my co-hosts. They give me shit because all three of them have beards and I don't. It's hilarious. But I respect the hell out of them. And the three of them understand the struggles and my frustration sometimes because they're also in the thick of it as educators themselves. So we wanted to do something where it was just us being honest and open with it and hopefully not only talk about the things that we're frustrated with, but also offer suggestions and also Listen, we may complain a lot on our podcast, but we love what we do. But damn, man, people need to understand how much of a struggle it is sometimes. And so it's like we're basically giving the insider scoop to those who don't know or don't pay attention to the education world because it is crazy. Yeah, my mom has been a teacher. She so she before I was born in Kansas City, she was a teacher up there. Then when I was born, she quit that to be a stay-at-home mom for me and my two younger sisters. Once we all got into about uh, junior high, teenage years, she decided she wanted to go back. So she had to kind of do some classes because different curriculum course requirements type stuff for Arkansas, Kansas. And she started off subbing, uh, was sharing a second grade class, went into fifth grade. The last year that she did fifth grade, so many problems I would hear her just coming home and talking to my dad about. Because they were basically, they were giving her like all the the quote-unquote problem students in her class was what the majority of them were. And the problem students also had problem parents, which did not make it any easier. So she said, basically, I'm going to go back to teaching second grade because I can at least know how to deal with those parents. As where these ones are just, it's impossible half the time. Oh, yeah. And that's some of the things that we've talked about in on previous unprofessional development episodes. Um, we started off trying to figure out topics and then it kind of just bled into us just discussing whatever was on our heads and on our hearts the day of recording, which has developed into some very good conversations that we have. And, you know, like I said, on multiple occasions over the last 10 minutes or so, Yes, a lot of it is us venting and just cracking jokes at each other's expense, but there is a lot of truth behind what we do. Like, I love what I do, but there's certain things that within the education system that are never a fun time. And I think whoever ends up as our audience, whether it be other educators, parents, administrators, like even if it's not on a grand scale, there are lots of changes that can be done within a school. It does take a lot of bit of time and effort, but especially in this day and age, if you don't want teachers burning out and if you don't want to have this mass exodus of educators like we have been seeing the last year or two, something within the system, both on a micro and macro scale, needs to be implemented and change. And we can only do so much. And we're just offering four four perspectives of four dudes who are teachers to our middle school, to our high school in different subjects. 
and we're just coming together to inform the world of what's going on in the education scene and how people can be helpful for us, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I enjoy this too just because I like to just hear y'all thoughts on it. And of course, there may be some things I don't always agree with just because I have certain views. Of course, you all have your certain views and we're all we all have that right to that. We all don't have to get along, but if we can sit down peacefully talk about it, it's not the end of the world. And in my opinion, actually, I think the pandemic kind of opened a lot up on both sides of the story with how people on uh, one side was doing well, but the, there was other flaws on the other side that were also being exposed as well. So on that front, I agree with you about a lot of the stuff that you all had said. And I'm especially interested in, I've messaged you about this before, but I'm interested in seeing like how you guys view like the special education, special needs side of like the education. I don't want to call it the education industry, but that's how I feel like it's being run now is like an industry sometimes, depending on where you are. In certain aspects, it is. Yeah. But thankfully, at least for the four of us, while we've had some minor incidences and the four of us have yet to have it be 100 percent of our experience, which is we're thankful for. (laughs) Yeah. So my uh, I like so my uh, education experience was so I was diagnosed with autism at the age of four. And but I was so before it was just the autism spectrum, I was diagnosed Asperger's on the autism spectrum. So I was considered like the mild version of autism, as they would say. But I still had I had like some of the quirks and all that, like having the hard time focusing, um, like the sensitivity to the sound and some other things. And so that whole so I, and this was like early 90s too, where there was still like nothing about it. It wasn't until like maybe the early 2000s when this stuff about autism started coming to light and people starting to do research into it. So if you all ever decide to do that sometime, I'm not saying y'all have to. I'm just saying as a listener, I think that would be something interesting to hear y'all talk about. Oh, yeah. And of course, you know, as we continue on, um, I always enjoy getting to record with those three gentlemen um and you know and i love it because it gives us perspectives because two of us we're all in different areas half of us teach middle school half of us do high school all of us teach well most of us teach different subject we have a history we have a high school history teacher middle school social studies high school english and then of course middle School mathematics is, you know, rounding that out. But I love being with those guys. You know, it's very therapeutic for us and we can just hang out and just be honest with each other because we get it. We get it. Yeah. And I can also tell from this guys, you guys are passionate about your job. And that's one thing my parents always say is we need more like teachers with a passion to teach. So with guys like you teaching our future generation out there, I'm thankful that there's guys like you out there teaching these kids coming up today and hopefully at some point we'll leave them a better world than it is right now so all right so we'll finally get off of that topic because i'm making myself sad over here with this now <laughs> um okay i actually this we'll talk about this one because i just finished listening to this one last night and this is actually not one you run but it's one you play in and it's ran by riku aka pup riku the academy which is a combination of both uh dnd and the d20 modern system and I'm just going to say right off the bat, loved it. I am enjoying the story. I'm enjoying the characters. And the diner scene was just hysterical. I couldn't stop laughing about it towards the end of the current episodes. Oh, yeah. You see, so I love the Academy because 
One, I mean, obviously, because I'm on the player side, so I don't have to run this one, which is always a good thing. But I think what makes the Academy really special, at least in my eyes, is so fun fact. And uh, Riku, Chris is his government name. Chris is going to probably get mad at me for saying this, but it's okay. So the way this came about is that Chris actually had this game pen to paper from start to finish. It has been completed. The story in its entirety was written out and completed five years ago. So this story has been sitting for five years and Chris hasn't found the opportunity to run it until uh, last year when I was starting Vibe Tribe and I was looking for people to run things to kind of balance out what I was doing. Um, He asked if he could run a game and I just asked him, you know, what, what he was looking to do. He gave me the synopsis. He gave me what he was planning to do. And immediately I fell in love with the concept of this being set in the more modern world, which is a take that I have yet to play in. So using the mechanics of 5e, but not set in a high fantasy setting. This is more grounded into the world if high fantasy were to enter the modern world. So there is technology, there is cell phones, there is planes, all that stuff. And so the concept of it was interesting. But I think what made me gravitated towards more is the fact that this was a story that has been written from start to finish and it has yet to see the light of day for five years. And it just made me super happy when Chris asked if he could run it and present his story to the world. So honestly, it has been a fun. It's been a blast. The the players are great. Chris is an awesome DM. And, you know, it's it's been a it's been a crazy time. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that. It's basically also following the mean. It's like it's D.O.D., but with guns. <laughs> so that's been really fun because it's introducing modern weaponry because this is like a futuristic United States setting that's kind of been having the remap because it faced like this big catastrophe at some point. It's kind of the general gist of it because you got like. Trying to remember, there's like some states that are like new Texas, this or like new New Orleans, that kind of deal. I know I'm getting a lot of these places wrong, but it's like I've been more focused on so much of the story, just kind of in. I can't think of the word that I've been uh, absorbing it. That's the story. I'm absorbing the story as I'm listening to it. And it's been really fun to listen to. And again, like you said, players and characters, amazing. Um, I'm giving it hands down to MG Preacher, who's doing the uh, German mortician. I believe that's a, that's actually Adolfo. So Adolfo, Adolfo, okay, yeah, Adolfo, the nerdy Puerto Rican, is uh, Dagny, our uh, German uh, necromancer wizard. <sighs> Listen, I love all my players. Adolfo is a special brand of player, just because he is an actual performer himself. Just the nuances and the different characters he can play is just so much fun because he has that performance background. And if you loved his stuff in season one, you're going to really enjoy the characters that he's playing in season two because they are a hoot so far. Yeah. And then the gunslinger Wyatt, he's been kind of fun to listen to. So because he's he tries to play a serious, but he just comes off more comedic than anything to me most of the time. And it's like not he's not doing it on purpose. It just naturally happens that way. Uh, why it is so why it is a great time but all of so that's a little bit of a spoiler here 
as you as new episodes get released, those two are always a hoot. But be on the lookout for our techno mancer, uh, Edgar, played by Sutfin, because once we get once we you start listening and get deeper and deeper into the organ arc that has been releasing slowly, we learn some things about his character and what he's capable of doing. It is it was literally a shocking moment in the, in the good way. And it just gets better from there. So it's something to look forward to. Uh, really quick, if you don't mind, tell us about the character you play. Because like I said, this is one of the few times where you're on the player side, not the game master side. <laughs> Why? I would love to. So for the Academy, I play Ramon Oseguera. And he is a human uh, path of the totem barbarian. So I'm playing a big tanky heavy hitter melee character for this campaign. Um, With my characters, I always like to make it more. Their personality is more important to me than game mechanics, though. I've been enjoying like using barbarian stuff because I've yet to play a barbarian. And so far, it's been really, really fun to do. But I always try to incorporate some interesting background. And since this is using D20 Modern and we're set in the modern setting, I worked with Chris to figure it out. Because one of the things we did for character creation is that Chris asked us for our characters to give them an actual city of where they're from. And so as I was thinking about Ramon and his backstory and everything and working with Chris, I love the fact that he is this big beefy barbarian but the one aspect because i love to try to play these kinds of archetypes and put them on their head it's very interesting because ramon is minus a couple of i think minus a character so technically ramon is the oldest of the group because he's in his late 50s so he's an older gentleman he's a barbarian but more importantly he will hit things when need to but he is also a I also gave him a little bit of a benefit that he's also a fashion designer, too. So (laughs) it's just an amalgamation of all these random things that so far has been very interesting. And to kind of play off of that humble fashion designer thing, he comes from I based his hometown based on the real life city here in Northern California called uh, Carmel by the Sea, which is a small ocean village. And so one of the things and this is not a spoiler. But as we get deeper into the campaign, there's going to be a part of the campaign where we get to visit all of our cast's main homes because they're going to need to to continue the story. So I'm excited to see Ramon's village and his home life come to life, as well as all the other players, because if it hasn't if it wasn't apparent, what I love about the Academy is that each different arc is going to be taking place in a different state and in certain places is going to t- uh, take place in different countries around the world. So just that globe trotting aspect is also what kind of drew me in of me wanting to be a part of this game. Yeah, so I've been really enjoying that because the first one took place in Texas, which was an interesting place because I like the. It was the uh, phrase, uh, keep Austin weird, was just kind of ringing through the whole thing. So that was fun to listen to. Yeah, that, yeah. First arc took place in Austin, Texas. And then this current arc is in uh, Portland, Oregon, which the Portland arc has been a giant up and down roller coaster, which you'll see at once. Because we're, at the time of this recording, we're nearing the end of the 
Portland arc. And so things have been crazy. So y'all need to stay tuned because it gets bonkers. All right. And now the next podcast we're going to talk about, and this is actually how I discovered you and the Vibe Tribe. The City of Mist Knights of Pain Town campaign that y'all have been y'all just finished the second arc or a uh, second arc slash case of that series. But I have to ask, because I'm curious to know, what got you interested in doing City of Mist? So funny enough, as I was doing my research uh back when pandemic started in 2020, again, since I had all this extra time and I wanted to do my research, I went on the Google, I was looking up uh different actual plays on YouTube, all that kind of stuff. What gravitated me towards City of Mist was actually, funny enough, the Rolling in the Mist podcast that I had discovered. So when I when I discovered it, they were just starting the podcast. So this is like season one, and they barely had like two or three episodes out. And then once I listened to those three and I was listening to the way that you could tell the story. And once I learned more about the mechanics of City of Mist, not only did I become a fan and I was listening to the episodes as they were coming out, I think I told myself that I wanted to run something in, you know, regards to uh, City of Mist. And then once Knights of Pain Town had officially dropped, then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Uh, let's see what it's all about. I got the campaign book and the rest is history. And I figured, you know what? Let's see where this goes. And I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I'm so happy with season one. And it, I I really enjoyed it. It was a fun story to tell. <laughs> yeah. So I think I started listening to Rolling in the Mist. I think they were they were getting towards the end of the first arc of their season one campaign is when I started listening to them. So I had just, cause they followed me on Instagram on my music page, just out of the blue. And I was just finding stuff to do and listen to. And I just started binging them all the way through listening to all the episodes. I was their Patreon. I was on their Patreon for a while, supporting them, getting the episodes a day early. And I was, did that for a while again, when season two started up as well. And if you haven't listened to season two, you need to listen to that. It's a completely brand new season. You don't have to listen to season one to do it, but it kind of get put some things that happen in season two in the aspect, especially when they talk about the, our favorite homeless fuck from that show, Otis, the homeless man, which if you talk to Kevin Carpenter about that, that's dear, dear character to his heart, despite he loves the whole thing in the entirety. And so I actually play, I got Knights of Pain Town too. I plan to run down my own. And it's funny because there's, I've seen so many people that played City of Mist on like their podcast. So few have actually ran this campaign, Knights of Pain Town. The first people I listened to that ran it was the TPK roleplay group when they were on Switch. I don't think they're around anymore. I think they disbanded due to the personal stuff from what I heard. But it's nice. But that's still out there for me to listen to. I like listening to it. And then there's a, um, there's a couple other people that do it. And then I found you guys doing it. Because I was just curious, trying to find other City Miss podcasts to listen to, and I'm like, "Oh, they're very nice of Paid Town." So I started listening to it, and I got and then I discovered your all the other shows that you do, and I started listening and binging on those too. So that was the downward spiral for me on the Vibe Tribe podcast. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten similar stories where they started out with one, and then they wanted to check out everything else. But that's the that's the thing with Vibe Tribe that I wanted to do. Granted, it's a lot of work on my end and on the end of everybody involved with me. But 
one of the things that I wanted to do is, is, is that I wanted Vibe Tribe to be a place where all different types of stories are being told. And because as, as popular as D&D has become over the last couple of years or so, I understand that high fantasy is not necessarily everyone's jam, as I say. Some people resonate more with different types of stories. So that's what I try to do with at least all the games that I'm running with my games that I'm running for Vibe Tribe. But it has become such a fun experience, too, because getting to know a lot and. I guess breaking news, non-spoiler alert, but for season two, I made the decision to branch out. So now it's not just me who's telling the stories for season two. I have three other people that are running their stories. And so you get to see their storytelling skills and how they run their games. And it's, it has evolved into something that I'm really, really excited to see where the rest of season two goes. But story is a very important thing for me. And that is something that I want people who come to Vibe Tribe listening to us to be able to resonate with a particular story. It doesn't always have to be a high fantasy D&D story. It could be maybe you love the shenanigans of Friday Night Fights. Maybe you love the more neon soaked mysteries of the City of Mist game. All that kind of stuff. And so I think writing for these games has been such a daunting task, but it has been so rewarding, especially when you get a cast of players to kind of bring those details to light and be able to kind of collaboratively work with each other and you as the storyteller to create such a beautiful, amazing story, which is something that I saw a lot within season one. And I can't wait to see what's in the same thing for season two. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll talk about season two here in a little bit. I'm going to ask you about what we got up for that, but I saved. I'm going to take the reins from you here on this one as we go, go into this. The best for last. Your Legends of the Five Rings Furusato. This campaign was fucking awesome just to listen to. You had, was it five, six people, players? Oh, yeah. I had six. Uh, I had six players for this one. And yeah, six about teen, about late teen young adults be on their journeys to become samurai. And it went from, oh, we just got past these trials to going so much deeper into these characters and how they are, who they be, and just the different kind of mini arcs that kind of took place in between everything that was going on. This was pure fucking gold to me i would have given this an oscar if this was like a movie just because of how much just kind of resonated with me uh how like i came to tears so many times just listening to some parts and then all the funny icebreaker moments that just kind of distract you from that for like that split second of the emotion you're feeling and that just made it just that much more enjoyable as well and it And technically, the season one of this has ended. It's officially over. We're just waiting for the Fireside Chat episode to come out about it. And I'm really looking forward to hearing that one, just hearing what how your all's thoughts and opinions are. But just me alone, this was by far one of my top podcasts to listen to in this past year. And you all were on, and I put this on my uh, kind of top 10 plus one of podcasts for 2022 because just of how good this game was 
So to kind of begin, um, when so a little bit of behind the scenes, when I woke up to see that we had made it into your top 10 of 2022, I was floored in the best way possible. Like I got extremely excited. And then funny enough, a couple of days later, I shared that because we were still recording season one at that time. Um, and we had uh, when that came out. And so a few days later, when we were it was at our final session recording because we knocked out the rest of the Topaz championship arc, the epilogues and the fireside all in one night. And so when I shared that news with them, they were all excited and we talked about it. And so. So fun fact, this story was actually going to be completely different than what I had originally planned. It's a little bit of behind the scenes and exclusive, if you will. When I initially wrote the story for uh, Furusato, um, using the Legend of the Five Rings uh, TTRPG from Fantasy Flight Games. Um, I initially was actually Topaz Championship was actually not supposed to take the whole entirety of season one. It was actually only supposed to take a half, and then we were going to have a time skip where they're adults, and then we go from there. But by April and or by May, actually, when we were into this and we got into the groove of the story and just how everything organically developed over those sessions between when we were recording, I had a conversation with my players because I attributed to a couple of things I attributed to at that time. I got a really nasty cold that had me laid up in bed. So I was all congested and I had brain fog for a good chunk of it. But also I come to realize that when I'm in that kind of position, for some reason, that is when I also have the most profound thoughts or at least what at the time I think are profound. And then I look at this like, yeah, that was probably not the greatest idea. But while I was sick, I had a conversation with my players. And I was like, you know, let me let me just put this out there. Between how the story was going and how my par- uh, players organically we're leaning into those young adult tropes. And then given what I do in my real life as a profession, as an educator, I thought about it and then I kind of got deep a little bit. I was like, what would you guys say if we shift the narrative instead of it being a typical samurai epic following you as a, from teens to adults? What if we keep you guys as young adolescents and we tell the story through the lens of what it's like for somebody between the ages of 14 to 17 and you know kind of mirroring the real world what if we told the story from the perspective of a young adolescent in this very traditional rigid world and they were given the opportunity to change it and to kind of challenge those traditional norms which we'll get into a little bit i presume um and I didn't know how my players were going to take it, but they all took it like moths to a flame. They were interested to see where it went. And then once that narrative shift happened, I think that was probably the best decision that could have been made because I ran it by my players and I wanted them to be okay with that because yes, I'm the storyteller, but I'm working with them. It's not just me here. It's all of us. And so they just took that idea and I didn't have to do anything. They knocked it out of the park. 
you know, we talked about the different things they wanted to explore over the season, but those were just ideas. They're the ones that gave it the depth and the bravado that it ended up being. So honestly, (laughs) I loved all the season one games, but if I had to pick one to kind of be a template or my magnum opus of Vibe Tribe from season one, hands down, Photosato is my magnum opus it is my original creation and that's what i'm trying to that's what i want to achieve as i keep going with vibe tribe whether it's i'm running it or someone else runs it i want that story to resonate on a deeper level than people can think about when it comes to ttrpgs and this one was it for season one and so i attribute it to my players and how amazing they did and all that the role-playing aspect from just your players alone was just hands down to me trumps any Hollywood celebrity just from, because you don't have to watch it. You hear it in the voice. You can like, I feel the actions like they're doing as they're like role-playing what's happening. You got, ah, I am going to get all these names wrong. I have the list here, but I'm going to get them all mixed up with what they do. You had a, was Shodai the one that was just randomly just pulling food out of his kimono? Yep. Was- once. A- yep. So once again, <laughs> Shodai, played by Adolfo, our ner- the nerdy Puerto Rican, all over the socials, was again. It was a breath of fresh air because he ended up being the comic relief for a lot of it. But even then, he still had his more serious moments, especially when we got that little bit of a flashback and learned that he is part of the Unicorn Clan, but he's adopted. And getting that little brief memory of his biological mother dropping him off at the village was a lot, was something that me and Adolfo, I kind of just threw at Adolfo and he just rolled with it and he knocked it out of the park. It was so much fun. And then uh, he was the mud bath scene too, right? That was his character right near yep. the beginning. That yeah, was he, a f- <laughs> he failed the check so he failed the check, so I just had him. He wanted to narrate it, so I just let him. And again, it, I when players want to do certain things, if they want, I always try to give them the power to narrate successes and failures. And I was, I was muted, thankfully, but I was crying of laughter through that description when it was going down. It was so much fun. Yeah, and then you also had Kaito and Mio. That just stole the whole show. I'm just gonna admit it. They stole the whole show with that with when they finally had that scene where they just confessed to each other. I'm so I remember when that happened. I was I'm listening to the episode at work and I'm just I stopped because I'm my heart's like as it's listening to this scene taking place. And you feel it. Like the love, you can feel the love that these two characters had for each other. It's just overwhelming you. There's a tear running down my face. And then your Swedish wrestler friend chimes in. And I can quote this word for word. As a man dating a gay man, as a gay man dating multiple men, this has got to be the gayest thing I've ever seen. And you all (laughs) just lost it. And I fell to the floor at war just laughing hysterically. Yeah, like I said, I really lucked out with the cast of this game, you know, and I do want to give credit to all of them. So all my players from Adolfo, Amador, Mikel, uh, Josh, 
to Chris and Will, our boyfriends in the game. Um, they all brought so much heart to this that I loved. And <laughs> yeah, the confession again. So prior to this, uh, Will, who plays Mio, reached out to me and he's like me. He does a lot of research uh, to get a more historical uh, accuracy and a historical mindset, even if it's a fictional setting. And so both of us learned how much platonic and uh, same sex relationships were actually prevalent in ancient Japan, which is where Rokugan uh, is kind of set in, which is a more fictionalized version of feudal Japan at that time. And, you know, him and Chris and I, the three of us had a conversation because this once we shifted the narrative to young adolescents uh, going through the world. They asked if they could do this. And so initially I wasn't planning to pull the trigger until the very end of season one, but then it kind of just happened organically and they pulled the trigger themselves and I was here for it. So I was, they didn't tell me that night when we recorded that episode, that that was even a thought. They just got caught up in the moment and then will just went for it. And Chris beautifully played it off. But that was probably a highlight. But then, and again, you hear a little bit about it in our fireside chat. But when I recorded their festival adventure, you know, because I had to split the recordings because at that point it was the holidays of the Thanksgiving. And so I had to split recordings where I got half of people one week and then I got the other half another. And it just so happened that I got our fictional boyfriends on the same one. And their whole festival arc is probably the most beautiful storytelling that I could have ever hoped for. And I mean, if you listen to the episode, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. You, You hear me holding back tears. And then it wasn't until we got done recording that for like a good 30, 45 minutes, the three of us were just sitting there talking about it. I was crying. They were crying. And it was pulled from real experiences when we talked about it because I wanted to get their insight of, you know, where they what sources they dig from, dig deep from in order to kind of portray that. And so getting to learn more about their personal struggles because they they said it and they said it on multiple occasions. This is not a secret, but Chris and Will, who play uh, Kaito and Mio, uh, respectively, Both of them are gay men in real life. And so they pulled from their own personal experience of what it means to have, quote unquote, forbidden love. And I put that in air quotes because it's not at this day and age in 2023. But it was something that I never knew that as a storyteller that I would get to experience, especially so early in my tabletop career as a storyteller. And I was so grateful that I got to be a part of that. And I'm I'm really happy that it resonated with a lot of people because having conversations with you was probably one of my funnest parts, getting your play-by-play reactions as you were listening through it all. Uh, it really, it really humbled me and it made me feel so grateful that this story resonates with people. Yeah, and then uh I'm gonna pronounce this wrong it's a uh, 
because I'm looking at the casting, so I don't get names. Is it is is it pronounced it Michael or Mikhail? How does he pronounce his name? So that would be Mikhail. So Mikhail. he plays okay. he plays our fun Uncle Iki guy. Yeah. So even though he wasn't as much of a reoccurring as everyone else was, you know when Uncle Iki guy enters the scene, it's of it's of great importance. Like he's not there for just no reason. And the kind of I'm not going to spoil it, but the reveal about him in one of the episodes. If you want to figure out what that is, my listeners, go and listen to Furusato. You will not be disappointed. And binge it and actually just sit there and just listen to it. Because you have to listen to pay attention to all the things going on. And then you also had um, it keeps resetting on me every time. You Our final two, you had Yaka and Daidaro, which Yaka, I really enjoyed because he was standing up to his other clan members to protect his friends, and that really kind of stuck with me, that he would be willing to kind of go against his own clan just to protect people that even didn't belong to him. Oh, and then and more, and more importantly, too, one of the fun aspects that I was given the privilege of doing, too, is that Yaka's character was dealing with the loss of his mother, which is very interesting, to, which was very interesting to be able to kind of do. And just the strained relationship that it put between him and his father, which it was a lot of fun for sure. And I hate to say this. Um, I know Diderot had some good comedy moments, but my but the, he was just so overshadowed by kind of so much of the other stuff that happened. That's kind of hard to kind of pick out what. Like, what was kind of his role in the game? What was Dider's kind of role with everything going on around him? Because I felt like he really kind of got shoved to the side as like a character a little bit when I think about it. Well, in hindsight, I can see that. And, you know, but I think the important thing, too, is, is that. I, f- I think what um Daidoro brought in this sense is, is that he's probably the most grounded character of our six that were a part of the story. Not necessarily that he had crazy amounts of, I don't want to say drama because like, but I think, I think that's important too. He was very understated, but he did. I think that understatedness is probably very important overall for the story because he ended up being both directly and indirectly he ended up being a solid foundation for a lot of the characters like i mean granted he balanced out uh shodai's crazy anime-esque food related stuff so that was a lot of fun to do that one wasn't he the one that pulled shodai out of the mud bath when they were like running around or something like he swung and then he yanked him out of the mud bath at the same time Yep. And so he was he ended up being a good uh, foil and a good support for the other players. But I think probably my favorite and it was a small moment, but I think you got to see a good characterization for Daidoro in two places. One is when he had that brief moment during the. uh, During the feast with uh, the owner where everyone was presenting gifts he ended up going off looking for our mantis clan friend and him and you know hatoshi the mantis clan member having that small moment and learning that hatoshi can like like uh shodai is able to summon spirits as well but being able to kind of have that small conversation and then just daidoro always being willing to stick up for his friends was always fun his epilogue was probably a good fun one too because we got to see 
he has a life waiting for at home. He does. He is engaged to somebody. And while we didn't get to see too much of that in um, season one, he definitely is going to be more of a forefront in season two because that relationship. Oh, I have plans for that one. It's going to be so much fun. But I think for season one, Daidoro played a very, I guess the straight man is the best way of putting it, which isn't always a bad thing. And he ended up being a good support because sometimes as a player, everyone wants to get a chance to shine once in a little bit. But I think sometimes it's also good to be supportive of other players with their things as well. And like I said, I think Daidoro was the grounded character for our party. And again, he was willing to help wherever he could. And what, even though it wasn't as explosive, he was our firecracker because he said what was on his mind. He didn't care about rank. He didn't care about nothing. He just told it as it is, which I think is very, very fun as a storyteller to kind of do. Yeah. And then just to kind of finally kind of bring this back full circle, uh, a tabletop RPG game, is not as it's not just the PCs that make it, but the NPCs as well. So Hitoshi of the Mantis Clan was a very lovable character from start to finish. Whenever you got to introduce him, when it became basically the group's mission to yeah help help the uh, because they were visited by the spirit of the original Emerald Warrior, who said save my who helped this uh, uh this is I am this kid's ancestor help him get through he's going to need it there's plans for him kind of going on. And then also your the the sam the politics samurai girl. I forget her name off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Yeah, Himiko. Who Himiko? Also, yeah. That's it. So being the childhood friend of Mio and Kaito, the three of them of the Phoenix, uh, the Phoenix trio, as we called them. She was a lot of fun because again, she was also the more grounded one. She pretty much had it all going on. But it was really fun to allow it was really fun as storyteller to kind of use that hidden backstory. And granted, because it is truth that she being female and be trying to be a samurai was already tough enough. And then when you got to meet her father towards the end Uh, of season uh, one. uh, Yeah, (laughs) trust me, my players hated the way I played him too, just being very condescending, being very cold, invalidating her dreams and her feelings. And then, like, again, subtlety is key because as soon as I narrated the fact that her father took away her dancing fan and left, Mm. yeah, (laughs) Kaito and Mia, my players, Will and Chris, respectively, they they were like, we hate this dude. I was like, good, that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, I told you how if I had a character in that game, how I was going to handle that situation because I oh. had, yeah, because I messaged that a while back because it got me thinking like, how would I have been like reacted to this game or this story if I had a character in it? And I was actually because I'm reading through that book now. I'm going to run my own game with Legends of the Five Rings, and I was immediately drawn to the Dragon Clan right off the bat for like the clan choice, and I just imagined like my character kind of. Being all kind of all that fiery, he the first one into a fight if there was one that happened. It's like he just not take one of those authority. It's kind of one of those people where it's like he wouldn't care if you said he dishonored something or not. It's like I just he's like I decide what my honor is, and that's all that matters. Kind of mindset. So that's how I imagine if I was to play like in that scene. 
how this character would have got, he just would have gone off on this dude and just kind of try to put him in his place in his own way. So that scene, like, yeah. Oh, I was furious just listening to it happen, especially with the fan. I was like, oh, you bastard. Oh, yeah. And one of the interesting things with Legend of the Five Rings is because mechanic wise, there is a. There's a fine line, too, because it's part of the game mechanics that. It's one of the few systems for season one where the players had to balance out what they what their character would do being reacting emotionally versus reacting logically, because, again, they could have done the choice to react however they wished. But because this is based off of uh, a fictionalized version of feudal Japan, there also has to be some sort of uh, decorum that they have to. Very similar to Victorian era London, where you have to be smart with how you interact because status and honor are a big thing in those types of societies where social status is very important. So it was fun watching them navigate that mechanic of, okay, I could say what I want to say and I can act how I want. But I also had to keep in mind that I'm also representing my clan and the personal and clan honor mechanics of it, too. So it was very interesting to kind of run that. Yeah. But hands down, especially for me, this was the Oscar winning podcast for Vibe Tribe, in my opinion. And that's not to take away from all the other joy that I've had listening to all the other shows, too. Those are all fun in their own right. I've messaged you about others, too, and especially, like, with Knights of Pain Town, there was a couple scenes where I messaged you about how some of those got me feeling, too. But Furusato was just the best. That's all I can say about it. There's no words to describe just how amazing it was. Just listening to these episodes and I'm really looking forward to hearing that fireside chat and just hear you guys kind of go and just hear what your guys' thoughts about how you all felt about everything that happened in the game. That's what I'm really looking forward to once that drops. Yeah. Uh, the fireside ended up being a lot uh, shorter than anticipated, but we were also at the end of a very long night of recording and a lot of it was kind of like the best way to describe the fireside is a bolt is like a cliff notes, spark notes version of everything that went down in season one. Cause we've had multiple conversations off uh, camera and offline as well, kind of as everything has happened, but the fireside was so it was a nice little wrap up. And this story will stick with me for as long as I continue to do TTRPGs because that was so much fun. Uh, the story was beautiful and it gave me so much other ideas. And I'm really excited. Granted, if time and scheduling allows, I definitely want to bring it back as soon as I can with this crew and get ready to tell the next chapter in their story with this. So it's again, my magnum opus. I loved every game I ran, but this one is probably if people wanted to see a resume, so to speak, of my work on TTRPGs, this definitely would be the one that I would put for season one. Yeah, so this is definitely a podcast that where if I just didn't want to listen to anything else or I already listened through most of the stuff on my library, 
This is a podcast. Free Rosato would be a podcast I would listen to over and over again. I did the exact same thing with Rolling the Mist. I listened through both seasons at least two or three times just because I enjoyed it so much. Free Rosato is definitely on the list of replayable podcast series that I would definitely do. So that wraps up all the shows you did basically for season one, if you count Biconics, which is technically part of the season two, which brings us to the next question. What is the what is the vibe tribe's plan for season two? <laughs> so again, this won't be a spoiler because if you end up following, if you follow us on the socials over the next at the time of this recording, uh, if you follow our socials at the next couple of months, you're going to start seeing some confirmations. But um, you know what? I'll just say it here. So season two. Uh, is going to be uh, grander. Uh, we are expanding, as I mentioned previously in this interview. Season two not only sees me at the uh, game master chair, but you get an op- you will get an opportunity to for three other people who have been gracious enough to want to run stuff for season two. You will get to hear their stories and their prowess as a game master so what to expect in season two i will an exclusive for everyone here because you'll find out about it about eventually but let me give you a rundown of what season two is going to include so continuing on in season two is definitely is call of the deep ran by myself and the academy run by papriku also known as chris so those two are continuing and then unprofessional development has been given a season two and then Biconics has been kind of is part of season two, but has been longer than that. But yeah, so those are really the returning ones. Now, as far as all the new ones, <laughs> buckle up. Cause it's going to be a lot. So I will get mine out of the way. Cause mine takes up the extensive amount of the list, but it's fine. So in season two, on top of the call of the deep and Biconics and unprofessional development, you can catch me running Tavern Tales, which is a D&D 5e kind of slice of life approach to a campaign where each arc is going to be focused on an NPC and our party is going to be helping them. It's going to be very cozy creature comfort type of story. So don't expect that there to be a bad guy and save the world. It's more so helping the uh, community that they're living in and also trying to pay rent because that is going to be such a fun aspect to kind of encounter because they're going to be living out of a tavern as their home base. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I just imagine those go walk in and be like, the rent is too damn high. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited because I am using the Tavern Tales uh, book f- that I received not too long ago, which basically is an anthology book of different tales, different adventures at different levels, but I'm going to weave them in together as a campaign. And again, don't expect there to be a big bad guy. They have to stop. It's more so of helping the community that they find themselves living in, learning more about the people around them and kind of being able to go on these missions. The wackiness will still be there, but it's going to be a good, a feel good kind of campaign, which I think is a nice change of pace. Nice. Uh, just really quick, because I keep looking at this on the video. Is that a stack of all tabletop RPG books next to you right there? 
Oh yeah, so this is bad podcasting, but Wait, that is my, video wise. That is, video yeah. wise, this is my r- research pile that has all the TTRPGs that I have been collecting since the high start of pandemic. And so when I do research, when I'm learning, I'm looking not only what I want to run for Vibe Tribe, but in case I want to test some of these out, I also would love to do want some of these as one shots as well. There are more books than I have inches, folks. That is all I can really that is the best way to describe it of how much that man has. And so I have my yeah, it's like <laughs> I have a, I have a library, a small like l- library's worth of books <laughs> on this desk, so it's crazy. Okay, so continuing with season two, you said Tavern Tales. You talked about the mm-hmm. ones that are coming back. What else will we going to be expecting? So, uh, continuing on with what I will be running for um, season two, on top of Tavern Tales, the other three games I'm running are non-D&D, so this is going to be fun. But I, ha- but I will be running... A bra- my Brave New Wild game, which uses the Junior Braves of the Apocalypse TTRPG, which is designed by the same folks that did the Kids on Bikes TTRPG and that whole system. So I am using so Junior Braves of the Apocalypse uses the Kids on Bikes system, and this game is set in a world and it is based off of the graphic comics by the same name. The what happens when you put prepubescent teenagers coming home from a quote-unquote Braves camping trip, which is the equivalent of the Boy Scouts or any type of Scouts. And they find that their home is no longer in one piece and there's zombies running all over the place. So it's like, what happens when you take Stand By Me, throw in The Walking Dead and the Goonies and all that stuff? This is probably going to be the, a very grounded episode because they are teens and they're trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. So this one's going to be a this one has the potential to create some very good character dynamics and character interactions. Now, other than that, my next game is Duskvale, which is using the Monster of the Week TTRPG. And if you know nothing about Monster of the Week, it is a great time. It uses the Powered by the Apocalypse system where you only need 2d6. And Duskvale is a fictionalized, small, sleepy little town in the great northwest in the state of Washington, where monsters and people tend to coexist for a little bit. But after an incident that kind of shakes the town's foundation a little bit, you will find my players trying to save Duskvale from impending doom. So this one's going to be a lot of fun. And again, monsters. Yep. I'm excited. Yeah, I was going to say really quick that City of Mist, for those who don't know, is also a Powered by the Apocalypse-based RPG system as well. And I would not have known what Monsters of the Week was if I had not started playing City of Mist to begin with. Because I would tell people about, like, oh, it's like Monsters of the Week. And I'm like, huh? What's Monsters of the Week? And of course, it's not, like, the same mechanics as City of Mist. But it's a a good game in its own right, especially because I've heard several Monsters of the Week uh, podcast be played too and just the aspect of mods of just modern day mixing in with movie monsters is just an amazing concept to mess with in any kind of ttrpg game so that's what i'm going to look forward to as well because there's a podcast i follow they do a superhero D podcast but on the side they've been doing a, a a horror movie parody spoof called deadwood which is also for those who don't know what deadwood is is also a big horror 
I can't remember the whole thing. I just know people talk about Deadwood before, and it's based off horror as well. So, yeah, with the Dust Veil, my my main points of inspiration for this is what happens when you take supernatural, but you throw in the kind of wacky mysteriousness of Gravity Falls uh, in terms of the absurdity. So, I'm really excited. I'm really I'm excited to run that and uh it's this is gonna be a good time now the last one that i'm running for season two is uh i'm really excited for this one this one is the neon memories and this uses the light-hearted 80s ttrpg game as its basis for it so light-hearted is a ttrpg that is set in a alternative neon soaked uh earth where magic is a big thing, but it is also set in the 80s. So the premise is, is that you will follow our characters who have just graduated high school and are entering community college. And the best way I can describe it is if you take the breakfast club, you mix it with weird science, a little bit of Degrassi, um, and a little bit of Saved by the Bell, and that's going to be Neon Memories. And I'm really excited for this game because my mission as for season two, I wanted to branch out and be more inclusive and diverse when it comes to my player base. So it just happened that it worked out this way. But Neon Memories is going to be my flagship, whereas Furusato was probably it. Uh, Neon Memories is going to be my flagship for season two to be my game and that's spelled G-A-Y-M-E. Because, well, again, because it's the alternative magical 80s and just neon memories in itself. But if you look to, later on, if you all want to take a look at the book, it is soaked in the rainbow, which is great. And all my cast of players represent different orientations and identities and things like that. And again, it's just an aspect of them personally that they just happen to be that and it's not a focal point. But again, when you have when you have again, it just covers everything. All our players range from gay to bisexual to polyamorous to your token straight person. It is. I'm really excited for this one just because of the cast for it is a lot of fun. But I'm also really excited to kind of also tell this nice little story of trying to survive finals, but also having what it's like to come to terms with being an adult now that y'all now that the players are entering community college and are starting to make their way through the adult world. But those are the ones that I'm running. I I will go into a a little bit what the uh, other games are that are not ran by me, but those are the four that I'm running for season two. Uh, yeah, as soon as you said "Saved by the Bell" for Neon Memories, I was like, "Oh, I was." It's like it's like that Leonardo DiCaprio scene from Django. It's like you had my curiosity, now you have my interest. <laughs> so, because big, I was big Saved by the Bell. I mean, I wasn't really into the grassy, but I can overlook that. I know the grassy has been praised by a lot of people, so I assume it's a good show. Just never was my taste to me. But Saved by the Bell, I can get behind a Saved by the Bell. So it was one of my favorite shows growing up. And so, uh, yeah, you don't have to go into all the details of the ones you're running, but if you just want to share like what the other ones are going to be for season two, that Vibe Tribe is going to have as well, you can do that as well. Totally up to you. 
So, okay, I'll 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 do speed rounds. So, like I mentioned, I am so happy to get uh, three new storytellers for season two that will get to to tell their stories uh, and kind of run their games. So. You already know Chris from the Academy, but he is running a second game for season two called the Crystal City. And this one, he is using the Radiant Citadel module, a book from Wizards of the Coast, which uh, all the adventures are written by writers and authors of color. So a lot of by POC representation, a lot of the all of the adventures are based off of different cultures of those people. So uh, Mexico. Uh, Thailand, China. So a lot of inclusivity and diversity with that. I'm really excited. And that would kind of sparked my interest. So I'm a player in that one, but Chris is running that. It's going to be very beautiful, kind of getting our cast of characters traveling from place to place, looking at different worlds and also learning a little bit about themselves. We also have another 5e game called A Walk Among Gods, which is a homebrew D&D 5e ran by Minnie uh, who plays our warlock in the academy. It is set in a fictionalized version of Greece. So I'm really excited because it's been a hoot so far. I'm also a player in that one. And then of course the last game per se is run by our good Swedish friend Mikael who is running the Hunt for Glory which is using the Death Watch TTRPG from Fantasy Flight Games which is a TTRPG set in the world of Warhammer 40K. So this is going to be science fiction with cyberpunk influence. It's I'm really excited. I can't wait. Blood for the blood god. <laughs> oh yes and with him at the helm of the storytelling and how much work he's put in and shown me so far i'm really excited i'm not playing in that one but i'm i'm excited to be editing it so it's going to be a ho- it's going to be a great time listening and i'm really excited and then the last project that is making its introduction in season two is another i guess pop culture podcast the divergence which is a podcast about inclusivity and diversity in TTRPGs. And that one has me, Adolfo, the nerdy Puerto Rican, and one half of our lovable boyfriend duo of Furusato Will, who played Mio. The three of us just talk about TTRPG and the topics of diversity and inclusivity and whatever else that we can come up with. Um, It's going to be a lot of fun. But that is what season two is uh, currently stacked up to be. Some returning stuff, a lot of new stuff. It's going to be a good time, and it has a lot of things for anyone. So if something is not your jam, there's a whole other plethora of things that you can check out and kind of see if it resonates with you. Well, either resonate or not, I'm still going to be putting them all on my podcast to listen to list just because I haven't found one I haven't enjoyed yet. So I'm really looking forward to what you guys are about to do for season two. I mean, you all did such a great job for season one. I only can imagine it's going to be just as good or even better this sec- this next time around. So, oh, oh yeah, I'm Ooh. excited. It's it's going to be a good time. Yeah, uh, I do apologize. I was not expecting us to talk this long about it, uh, but I just got so caught up with it. I'm pretty sure you're tired of me asking you questions. But I'm just loving just hearing you talk and just me being able to just share my happiness with you about what you've done. So, <laughs> oh, no need to apologize. Look, 
this is vibe trap is still something that is developing and you know the fact that a lot of our stories have resonated with you especially Furusato, i think just validates in the sense of i didn't know what i wanted from vibe tribe when i started this uh beginning of 2022 and honestly i still don't know exactly what is in store for all of us but the fact that I'm able to tell stories with some really cool people and that it resonates with listeners like yourself and others who have reached out. I think it's, it just validates and shows me that this is, this is what I want. And I'm excited to see what comes of season two, how things develop. And yeah, you don't have to apologize for keeping me so long. Again, I love talking about the stuff. I love sharing my passions with the world and i just i'm just excited to see where it goes yeah i there was a quote that i remember um usually for every one that writes in about it there's usually like a hundred more that feel the same way but just don't write about it so i'm just one person that's telling you all the stuff i'm enjoying about your show so who knows how many more that also listen that also get also and you're enjoying it just as much because um so i was on another podcast recently this kind of ties in so i'll be quick about it uh they're a bioshock lore cast podcast where they talk about the lore of the characters in bioshock and i have been listening to them because i'm working on a call of cthulhu one shot around the city of rapture for just a game to run and i got it found this lore cast to listen to it and i'm like would you mind if i just come on and just talk with you guys because I really play. I played the Bioshock games growing up. I loved them. They were my favorite top games of all time, story wise and game wise. And I said, I'm glad I would love to be on your show. And in return, I'll put you guys in this one shot I'm working on where you guys get to try to escape Rapture. And they just, just both loved the idea and were like, wow, we're surprised someone outside of our friend group actually listens to our show. So I know, like, that makes the world to some people. I love it when people message me about. My show, even the ones that I have on my show when they message me about it, because I still like to listen back and just find those fun moments because it's like it's just so fun to listen to. And I'm like, you can tell we're all having fun. All right. So we'll do one last thing before we possibly bring this to a close. And it's our section that I call the hot seat. And this is going to be going over because we brought up D&D so much. We have to address the elephant in the room. So as a lot of people may know by this point, WotC was leaked that they were going to redo excuse me, the OGL, got a lot of backlash from that, and then they were kind of back and forth with the apologies after like a week or two of not anything. Uh, people were still back and forth on it all. More leaks started getting out. WotC tried to save face, put out apology, and then they tried to do some surveys. And I guess from what I heard, those surveys... Just still nothing but negativity. So as about, I want to say almost a week ago now, they beyond D&D on their Instagram made a post that said the original, o, or, or the was it original gaming license? Is that what OGL stands for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the 1.0A is going to remain intact. And on top of that, they released a majority of Dungeons & Dragons content into the, basically the Creative <laughs> Commoners library. Yep, the five SRD. SRD, thank you. Mm -hmm. I don't know business that well to know all these. (laughs) 
definitions half the time. I just because again, I don't know that much about D and D, so I'm learning kind of just from watching all this. So, what was your thought as all this was happening, and what is it now that Watsi's kind of stepped back for now? Because I'm still hearing mixed stuff about it. So, at the last, so the last thing that happened at the time of this recording is that they announced that the original OGL would stay in place and that also a lot, some stuff got included in the F, the 5E SRD, which is basically kind of like open source, all that good stuff, which means that anyone can be allowed to use it without any repercussions of backlash, all that stuff. But I'm super simplifying it. There's more to it, but that's essentially the simplest terms. Now, as far as my reaction, when initially it was going on and when the uh, original kind of document leaked, so to speak. Again, I'm not a business savvy person. I'm not a legal person. So I actually went through with some people in in Vibe Tribe. And I also have a friend of mine that is good when it comes to legal stuff. And we kind of just went over it and we had some discussions with it. Now, on my end of things. The initial proposal didn't really affect me all too much because I'm not monetized. I'm not making money. I'm not doing any third party contact and content and profiting off of this kind of stuff. However, it did make me curious as to those who do, especially a lot of the third party publishing companies that make D&D content through their publishing and all that stuff. But then it even got more curious of the big names of people who have turned this hobby into a corporation. So the likes of Critical Role, Dimension 20, uh, Adventure Zone, all intents and purposes, like the big players that are making money off of this thing. And so when this was all going on, I remember having a meeting with my Vibe Tribe executives where we came up with the game plan just in case, you know, it did go through and all that good stuff. So it was a little bit of uncertainty, but for me personally, I wanted to get my ducks in a row and to get my information first before I decided to make any decisions. Cause one thing I was seeing is a lot of people were being very reactive instead of proactive which I'm saying is not wrong because then a lot of people started canceling their D&D Beyond accounts and that made the stock of, you know, Hasbro and all that tank because people were leaving left and right. And of course, like anything, if you want to hit a corporation, consumers just fight with the wallet. So therefore, by canceling and losing all that money, I think it kind of preemptively helped push you know, the decision to keep the OGL in place and all that stuff. Yeah. So when it all started, uh, so when I first started my podcast, I somehow got thrown into the D and D side of the TTRPG community. And I was only doing city of miss, but I started getting this fan base, just interacting through them. And like I said, getting D and D podcasters on my show to introduce them to city of mist. And I, I ended up being added to a group that I kind of dubbed the syndicate, where it's just a bunch of us, a podcast collective of people where we just talk and share ideas with each other, ask questions if need be. And I went to the group. I'm like, can someone explain this to me? I'm seeing it all over. I have no clue what it is talking about. And so I was like, okay, this makes sense. I can understand that. 
and what was so there was two things that kind of started to stick out with me when it came to listens was one it was leaked later that the so-called drafts were presented to a select few D&D content creators with contracts and you don't usually provide contracts with drafts is what everyone was saying so there were some creators out there that were saying hey if you sign this we'll make it like less than what this OGL is saying Another thing that happened was there was another leak that got sent out was Watsi was firing employees for basically difference of opinion. And that one was really kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Because while even though I'm a working man, I'm big on like the employee should the employer should treat their employees with as much care and respect as they deserve. Because at the end of the day, you still got to have someone to do the job that they're doing. And we all know the job market still currently is kind of a crapshoot out here, depending on where you live. Like I know, like a lot of these fast food places I work around, they can't keep people, and we don't have as. And where I work, there's not a whole lot of people either. So sometimes we're overran a little bit. <clears throat> and so, but then I saw Watsi do their announcement, and I was like, okay, this kind of gives me a little faith, but I'm still taking everything they say with a grain of salt. But at this point, it's like a lot of damage is already done. People were like moving right to. Pathfinder, Paizo was 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 creating their orc license for content creators to use. All these other TTRPGs were kind of now getting the money that will got to D&D was now going to these other TTRPGs that are probably like no name, haven't been heard before. Literally, there was a meme someone made about TTRPG made Fishblade and someone made an actual Fishblade RPG rule system. It's like a page you can get on uh, DriveThruRPG. So I thought that was funny that and then there was a. I had another point I was going to make, and I just lost it. <laughs> well, so what I will say, I'll say this. So, as you know, when that got released, that OGL was staying in place, and a lot of things got added to the SRD 5e. Um, so, this is my hot take on the whole thing. So I know a lot of people that have been rocking with D&D since the 80s. So there is a long history and relationship between that game and these individuals. And so when this is all going about, I empathize and I understood the hurt that a lot of the community was feeling, especially those on the older side who have been a part of D&D for a very, very long time. And, you know, this... I believe it's more Hasbro than Wizards of the Coast, but both of them are kind of equal when it comes to this to a certain extent. They have damaged a lot of the faith of this community. And so now, you know, with the surveys and then the announcement of keeping the original OGL in place and all this backtracking a little bit. Yes, the damage has been done and the hurt is real and I can't fault anyone for it. But the point that I disagree with is, and again, I attribute it because I don't have that emotional investment into 5e because I've only been here for three years. So I don't have that long history. So to me, while it sucked, I don't have that emotional attachment to it like some of the other people do. And I don't want to downplay their feelings because their feelings are valid. And being upset with Wizards and Hasbro is totally valid. What I disagreed with is how quickly people were ready to jump off. Uh, well, two things. I was surprised to see how many people were ready to like jump off of playing and like absolving from playing D and D forever, 
And so like other communities that I saw stopped the games that they were in the middle of to switch to different systems and continue playing, which I thought was fair. But I also think that, I mean, if all the players are quick learners, then I get it. But I also feel that kind of that took it a little bit, but I understood. Yeah. The, I really, uh, yeah. I was going to say, I agree with that. Um, I'm kind of at the point where I don't know if I want to run D&D or not, just because of everything that's happened. But I'm not going to knock on anyone who still wants to go ahead and play D&D because I say the players should not be punished for the company that makes its decisions. Well, yeah. And that brings my second point that I, that I've seen that has come out of this whole business. So I tend to kind of vibe tribe and I kind of keep to ourselves. And so we don't, we don't, we tend to kind of stay out of any drama that happens. So within the last couple of years, especially on the D and D TikTok scene, a lot of the things that have come up from there, I try to keep it uh, factual and logical. So I don't tend to involve myself in the drama because it does. If I have no personal stake or investment in it, then therefore I don't, me and Vibe Tribe have kind of kept driving our own ship. We see what's happening, but we don't have any personal stake in it. So therefore, we're not going to comment on it or jump into it because why not? Oh, it, it, to me, it, it's online drama is really silly. Like, anyways, but what I started to see once this is all going is, is that there's a small portion of the TTRPG scene that is what's the nice way of putting it? They have become so elitist where they would more rather play something. And this is even before all this was going down. The elitism and gatekeeping of is, is that they look down on anyone that would play D&D. And then when this was all coming out, the one thing that I didn't like to see was those types of like negative people knocking down players and other people for playing D&D and not giving other TTRPGs a chance. And just them coming out of the woodworks and like claiming validation with all the misery that was happening. And I was just like, I need everybody to take a couple steps back. Like, it's not that deep. It's not that serious. But I hated seeing those types of individuals kind of feel like they got validated when this whole situation, which even perpetuated more toxicity and just validating. Be like, look, D&D is garbage. It is trash. You should play these. Uh, no. See, that's where I have an issue with it, because I think of my I, because of my profession, I think of my students who just discovered D&D. And for you to kind of say something like that and to negate the creativity and the emotional ties that someone as young as my students have fallen in love with D&D. And for you to say in, in a generalization that. D&D is garbage and those who play it are closed minded. Yeah, that kind of irritated me. But again, I don't tend to comment on those types of things in public because, again, if I have no personal investment, there's no point in it. But it's funny now to kind of see now that the OGL will be put back in one place. It's funny to see those people kind of go back to being quiet and keeping to themselves in the corner of the Internet. I was like, y'all were being loud not that long ago. But now that they're trying to now that Wizards and Hasbro are trying to backpedal and do due diligence and try to restore that hurt that they caused. Now y'all don't want got nothing to say. I'm like, okay, you know, I live by the mantra of my favorite rest, my favorite wrestler uh, YouTube channel, Wrestling with Regret. 
And I live by the mantra of like what you like and don't be a dick. That's it's as simple as that. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like, if you're an adult, you decide you don't want to do that. That's fine. Don't knock down the halflings because they want to do it. So I completely agree with you on that. And then I finally remember my point, but it also made me think of two other points <laughs> on top of my head. It's funny how that works. So the first point I was trying to make earlier was I know Watsi was carrying a little under fire because I guess there was a lot of controversy going on in regards to Magic the Gathering with the cards. I don't know details about that, but I just know there was controversy in that regard happening. So before all this nonsense with the OGL happened, so... Hasbro, for the uh, the listening audience, Hasbro has acquired the rights for D&D and for Magic the Gathering, which is a, a strategic card game and put in simplest terms. So I only know of the Magic drama because I have friends who play Magic the Gathering. So what kind of spearheaded all this was that Hasbro has done a very bad job at kind of because it's the 30th year for Magic the Gathering, and so they're reprinting certain cards that have not been in circulation for a while. Not only did they charge an arm and a leg and a piece of your soul, too, but the promotion and just... It was a very quantity over quality type of situation. Like, the releases were crap. It was overpriced. It wasn't even that good. And then I don't know all the details, but I believe they were trying to monetize and monopolize the game where a document leaked out between a bank of, I think, Wells Fargo or something like that with Hasbro trying to monopolize this game that kind of turned a lot of people. Off. It just hasn't been a great year for Magic fans. And then with this OGL nonsense is kind of when it finally catapulted into everybody is up in arms and is canceling their subscriptions and all that kind of stuff. So Hasbro has had a very crappy year and a half or so. Yeah. And then my other point I had was before all this, I discovered. So there was a book that was released last year by an author named Ben Riggs called slaying the dragon, a secret history of dungeons and dragons. And then the author did interview on a podcast called dicegeeks.com tabletop RPG show. And they were basically asking this. The guy was just going over the entire book. And this was the history of like the TSR and uh, Wizards of the Coast incident, how all that came about, what happened with that, the uh, the company changing and the management changes and all that. And like about all the finances, the satanic panic and all that. This pretty much went through basically when D&D started almost up until like now. And that it just like it highlights like some of the dark stuff and like some of the unethical stuff that was also kind of happening behind the scenes in the company too. So it's funny that I discovered that, and then this gets appeared. And the book's been out for a little while. It was released in twenty two thousand twenty two, and you can get it for like about ten, eleven, fifteen bucks depending on where you find it on. But I just thought that was interesting because I listened to the podcast and I was very intrigued by it for sure. I don't know if you had heard of it or not, so I just figured that'd be fun fun to mention. Oh, yeah. And I think at the end of the day, at least from where Vibe Tribe stands on this whole situation. Our our small little community of players ranges from young to old with various stances when it comes to this thing. We're all in agreement that it is a crappy situation and Wizards and Hasbro really did damage to the faith. However, where Vibe Tribe stands is, is that. Will we continue to will some of us continue to run D&D for Vibe Tribe? Yes. 
I'm still doing it with Call of the Deep. I am beginning to do it with Tavern Tales. And Chris is doing it for the Academy and the Crystal City. Are there some of us that don't want to play it anymore? Absolutely. And rightfully so. But again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. We at Vitribe take the stances that while we may disagree when it comes to certain things, we each like what we like. We're not going to gatekeep. We're not going to knock down people who want to continue to play D&D even after this. But we're also not going to knock the people who decide not to support it either. But we, no matter where we stand when it comes to either side of the argument, we have all come to agreement that we are here to tell good stories, to have fun with friends, whatever TTRPG that looks like for everyone. And I think that's the big lesson that I think a lot of content creators out there should take a lesson and page out of what in response to the situation. Your feelings are valid. It is okay to be upset, but never forget that TTRPGs were made for fun. Do not forget that fact because then you will find yourselves going down a spiral and you will end up becoming bitter and angry at an entity that only sees you as a dollar sign. That's just how I see things. And that's why I'm not as angry as some people is because I try to keep it objective. So feelings are valid, but also try to keep it objective. And again, like what you like and just don't be a dick to others. <laughs> yeah, as long as you're having fun, no harm, no foul. That's how I basically say it. So, so wow, we've covered quite a bit on this. We went over the, all the season one episodes. We discussed what season two is going to bring, did our little hot seat. Is there anything else you want to talk about or anything you want to ask? Um, Not at the top of the head, but kind of as a wrap up point. Uh, for the listening audience, I'm very appreciative, you know, to be given the time to come on and to kind of talk about a passion project of mine. But of course, you know, if you want to check out anything, you can always follow us at Vibe Tri Productions, all that good stuff. But more importantly, remember just to take care of each other, love one another, and make sure that the good times always roll, as I always say at the end of every one of our episodes. So... Thank you for letting me be here. This was a good conversation, and I enjoy, thoroughly enjoyed myself. I enjoyed this, too. It went longer than I expected, but it was worth it. Um, just really quick, can you just give me like a quick rundown list of all the names of your cast members? Because they deserve just as much the praise for the for what all the Vibe Tribe does, just as much as you do, in my opinion. So, Oh, for sure. Okay, I got this. So, obviously, I would, now that we're into Season 2, I will go down the list. I would like to shout. So I would like to give props and thanks to all of my executive members. That would be Will, Chris, Kilt, Dakota, uh, JVL, my editors for season two that have joined us, which includes Joff and, you know, all. And you know what? The biggest shout out goes to all my season one players, too, as well. So that would be uh, Preacher, which is Josh. Chris, Adolfo, Will, Mikel, Kilt, Tanner, JC. Um, you also have Sutfin, Mini, Amador. Uh, of course, who else am I forgetting? Uh, and even Tiggy, uh, Professor John, as we call him, uh, Echo. And for my season two players too, my returning ones, as well as my new ones, such as Damon, Connor, um, Casey, uh, Martha, 
all there's so many people erica all to my players all to my casts all to my executives i give thank you so much for being on this journey with me thank you for continuing to want to continue on this journey with me and thank you for helping me bring this vision to life and then of course i also would like to thank the listening audience because without you guys none of this would be possible thank you so much for tuning into the shows listening to them giving feedback letting us know what parts you enjoyed all that good stuff and i just hope that you continue with us as we continue the journey because season two is going to be a lot of fun and season three is already in the works as well so it's non-stop from here and we're going to continue to go up all right. So as he said, you can find Vibe Tribe Productions on Instagram under Vibe underscore Tribe underscore P-R-O-D. From there, you can hit the link tree link in the bio and just hit which show you want to listen to. And look from there. There, I follow them on Spotify. I'm sure you can find them on any other podcasting platform you listen to. You can follow me on Instagram at Mysteries Unknown at Mist Unk Podcast, M-I-S-T-U-N-K Podcast. And my show Mysteries Unknown is also on all the available podcasting platforms as well. So Mikey, thank you again for coming on and letting me have this long conversation with you. I'm sorry for probably making your throat dry as heck, probably with all the questions and all the talking, but it was just great to listen to you and just be able to talk to you. And definitely someone I would also say I look up to as well when it comes to just seeing how this is all done. And again, I can't wait for season two and heck, I can't wait to see what season three is going to bring. All right, so I'm going to steal this from you because I want to end it like this. So from Mysteries Unknown and the Vibe Tribe, take care of each other, love one another, and as always, just let the good times roll. Haters.